This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. On today's crew call, we have filmmaker Aaron Sorkin and producer Todd Black, who are talking about the Golden Globe and Critics' Choice nominated feature being the Ricardos. So Todd, how long had you been looking to work with Aaron? Uh, is, is, is he hard to get into your office? Aaron, are you laughing inside right now? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> um, how long I had been lo- wor- looking to work with Aaron? Well, I am 61. I'm going to be 62 <laughs> in February. So 61 and a half years. No, I've, I've been looking to work with Aaron. Um, well, I've been in the business 33-ish years. And this is my 76th film, I think, between my own and Running Mandalay Pictures. And um, I think I've been looking to work with Aaron. You know, Aaron, how long have you been in the how long have you been in the TV and movie business? 30 years. Okay, so 30 years. I mean, truly, <laughs> I wanted to work with Aaron. I, Aaron, I don't even think you and I have talked about this. No. I I have wanted to work with Aaron as far back as I can remember since I've been in the business. Uh, I remember early on seeing things that he wrote, um, even plays and going, wow, this guy has a voice like no one's business. And I never had anything good enough to bring to him. You know, I mean, I learned pretty early on from two people in my, well, from one person in my life, uh, Denzel Washington, I had a lunch with him in 1989. I was a baby producer. And he looked at me at one point across the table at the Columbia Commissary when it was in the Valley. And he said, why am I, who are you and why am I having lunch with you? And I said, because I think you're the best actor I've ever seen. This is right after Glory. And he said, um, why are I here? And why are you here? And I said, because I want to make a movie with you. And he said, okay, that's nice. However, get in line. And B, um, when you read a script, that keeps you up at night and makes your heart pound and you can't get it out of your mind because of the characters and the story, call me. But otherwise don't call me again. And that's kind of the way I felt with Aaron. Um, And only Aaron and Denzel in my mind have come close to the two people that, you know, as a producer, you kind of have a, 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 a wish list and you rarely get to see your wish list through because you just don't. It just is very hard to find material that merits going to Aaron Sorkin, um, you know, that will, that you can capture him because everyone wants to work with him. So, you know, I've wanted to, to answer your question, I've wanted to work with him since I've been in the movie business. So I didn't know any of that. And I feel like this is a good place to end the interview. 
<laughs> oh no, no, we've got so much ground to cover. <laughs> so was it, you're with Jenna. Was it always the Ricardos or Lucille Ball, the story of her uh, being a, a, a communist or, you know, attached to the Communist Party? Was it always that which you wanted to pitch him or were there other ideas? No. Long before Jenna, when I was running Mandalay Pictures in 95, I tried getting the rights then. And uh, Lucy Arnaz and Desi Arnaz Jr., the children of Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, they weren't interested in the rights. And there had been a lot of unauthorized things written and done. And I, I wasn't interested in that. I really wanted to, I, I really wanted to dig further than that, but they weren't interested and I, I couldn't get the rights, I tried. And then when I, uh, I had hired my creative executive, Jenna Block, um, she had actually come to me and said, you know, I did my paper on Lucille Ball's film career, which I thought was very interesting. I didn't know a lot about that. And, um, and we both talked about it and we both agreed, let's, let's try to do it again. And, and, um, and we met with Lucy Arnaz, the daughter, and she knew that I had made a lot of uh, true life story movies and that I was um, really respectful about that and, and that I would protect her parents' vision and, um, or the, the vision of what she wanted and what I wanted. And um, uh, in, in getting Aaron and in Aaron's researching of it, he seized upon brilliantly in my mind, the communist thing. And that was one of, I mean, Aaron, I don't wanna put words in your mouth, but that was certainly one of the, the components of helping him shape what he, what he used to brilliantly come up with the Monday through Friday structure. And Aaron, I'll let you talk about that. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I'll say that um, I wanted to work with Todd ever since our first meeting uh, uh, together. And, and what I mean is um, uh, some great producers are hard to find and incredibly important. Um, and I felt like I was meeting with one uh, at, at our first meeting. Uh, Todd asked me, you know, if, if I was interested in writing a movie about Lucille Ball and, and Desi Arnaz, who my, my knowledge of them was roughly the same as most people's, just kind of a cursory. I, of course, I know who they are. Of course, I know what uh, I Love Lucy is. Um, uh, the, the first thing, thing that really got me interested in their story, as Todd said, was that Lucy was accused of being a communist. And I remember after that first meeting, I just wanted to ask around, was I the only one who didn't know that? Um, uh, and it turned out to, uh, 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 to my happy surprise that no, nobody knew that. Uh, and over the next, I guess, 18 months or so, uh, Todd and I would meet every few weeks once a month, I um, it, it takes me a long time to to commit to writing a movie uh, because it's going to be a big commitment. I know that it's going to take me a couple of years, uh, and that there's going to be a lot of agony uh, uh, involved. There's going to be a lot of climbing the walls and and pacing around, and I I, I don't think I can do this, and I, I don't have an idea. There's going to be a lot of that. Um, uh, but Anthony, let me just say this, Anthony, he never said no. And in my mind, as a producer, 
you know, you never can take a non-answer as a no. You always have to kind of stay with it. And, and particularly um, when you as a producer know you have the perfect person. And quite frankly, in my mind, I had the only person that could do this. I really didn't think there was another person that could pull this off. When did it become a yes? Uh, it, it really hasn't become a yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not sure I've committed to it yet. Um, uh, that, that, that's a good question. You know, Todd, I, I, I just can't remember saying, okay, you know, put it there. Uh, yeah, never really said yes, by the way, because um, Aaron is so humble and, and so lovely, literally the loveliest person I've ever worked with in the movie business ever. Um, he never said yes. He just said, I have an idea. And I remember this perfectly, Aaron. He said, I have an idea. What do you think of? And then he kind of laid out this Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday structure. And I was, uh, wow. I do that remember was, that. Um, yeah. uh, I remember, uh, and, and, and with each of these meetings, by the way, Todd would give me more information. He would just tell me another story about uh, uh, Lucy and Desi. Uh, and, uh, you know, I remember saying, well, look, I, I know what I don't want to do. I, I, I don't want to do a biopic um, because. And you don't want to be obvious. You don't want to tell the obvious stories that we've all seen a million times. Right. Uh, right. That the, the I, I was saying that the, 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 the biopic structure tends to be very familiar to audiences. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a greatest hits album. This happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. A, a cradle to grave story. But as Todd said, I, I I did have this idea of setting the whole thing during one production week of I Love Lucy Monday through Monday table read through uh, Friday audience taping, uh, and uh, Todd seemed excited about that. Uh, and when I would leave Todd's office after each of these meetings. I was far from seeing the whole film uh, in my head, but I was seeing these points of friction uh, between Desi and Lucy that, that could become scenes, between Desi and Lucy, between Lucy and Vivian Vance, uh, uh, between Lucy and Jess Oppenheimer, Lucy and Bob, uh, Bill Frawley. Um, and uh, there were just very interesting things there. Uh, stuff that... Uh, makes them not at all like the people we think they are from I Love Lucy. Uh, and uh, I think the thing that that got me to that yes, and there, there, there had to have been a, a yes there, uh, have a very difficult time separating uh, Lucille Ball from Lucy Ricardo and right. Desi Arnaz from, uh, from Ricky Ricardo. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, and and that interested me. Uh, I I just thought that there was a a, a story to tell here, um, in a, in a way that was appealing to me, in an environment that was appealing to me, and I wanted to work with Todd. Uh, and, and so other thing that you that you used to bring up all the time, Aaron, that I love that you accomplished in space. Aaron wasn't afraid of the conflict of the love that was between Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. There was great love there. 
and Aaron portrays it incredibly so. I think you really get a sense. I mean, after you've seen the movie, you really understand that these two people absolutely loved each other. Aaron oh, yeah. perfectly. It, it, but he wasn't afraid at all of saying, but guys, here's the other side of the coin. And, you know, a lot of people would just only want to show the love part. Right. Uh, and the truth is that in, in, in the research, you know, there are a dozen or so books written about uh, Lucy and Desi, and uh, most of them aren't very good uh, because they were written for fans of I Love Lucy. So there's not going to be any bad news in there at all. The one exception was Desi's autobiography, which is simply called A Book by Desi Arnaz. Desi is a fantastic storyteller, and he is not afraid of, uh, to tell you bad news. He, he's not afraid of the rough stuff. And, you know, you can tell he had a drink or two uh, while, while he was writing. And I went and I, I, I went online and I found uh, a YouTube clip of Desi on Letterman's old show, on his NBC uh, show. And it's fantastic to watch. I recommend it to anybody. He's not a young man anymore, even though he went up there and uh, sang a musical number. Uh, but he would tell stories about uh, he and his orchestra uh, playing the Roxy in Chicago. And he, he'd tell this story and would always kind of end with, uh, but that ain't there no more. Um, uh, uh, there was this sadness. And as far as their relationship, Desi uh, and, and Lucy Todd's right, these two were passionately in love with each other till the day they died, uh, uh, well after the divorce. And it, you want to shake them and say, can't you get it together? Uh, uh, can't you get it together? And the, each of them had a sort of a, a classic Shakespearean tragic flaw uh, that prevented the, this love story from having a happy ending. And, uh, you know, what writer wouldn't now, want to write about that? This is a love letter for the fans. It really is. It, it, it really, if you're a Lucille Ball and Desi fan watching this movie, it delivers. Outside of the spine of, of the uh, Monday through Friday work week and them dealing with the controversy, can you talk about what I think is brilliant about the script is how you bob and weave in, you capture everything about their lives, how they met, how she kicked it off and got it on the network and, and, and fought for him and, and, and broke a glass ceiling and the nuance of their comedy. And of course, with the controversy, we see the brilliance of Desi and how he handles a PR situation. But how, when you're writing a script like that, is there ever any concern that, oh God, I got on a tangent here and how am I going to come back? Or no, you just... You've got your your you've got your main spine, and then from off of that you can go off. Is is that you can just kind of veer off as as necessary? Is that the way you structure it? It's definitely a concern that I can go off on a tangent and and take a long time uh, uh, to get back. Uh, the page count on my scripts tends to be longer than uh, uh, than average, uh, just because. Uh, words take a dialogue takes up more room on the page than uh and less time on the screen than action which takes up less room on the page 
and more time on the screen. Uh, and I, I have delivered first drafts in a shopping bag. I, I, I've delivered 300 page first drafts because I went off on a tangent and kind of fell in love with the sound of my own voice and, and had to find my way back. That didn't happen with being the Ricardos. Uh, I think because I had uh, set this strict structure for myself, uh, uh, Monday through Friday, or technically it's Sunday night through uh, Friday, uh, and I knew that on each day there would be a flashback and the decision was, you know, what, what part of their lives did I want to show in that flashback? Okay, let's definitely show how they met and that first date. And by the end of that, we're going to know they're in love. Uh, and then the, the very first wrinkle in that relationship, which is that, Lucy doesn't see Desi enough, and uh, when Desi says, well, you should come down to the club more, Lucy says, all right, pal, you got it. If you want to see what happens when I come to the club five days after a movie of mine opens, here it is. Um, and so Luke, Desi gets to hold the purse outside uh, the stage door. Um, uh, so, you know, once I decided on here's the point of friction that we're going to visit on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday... Uh, then I, I had it under control, at least, uh, and at that point, it was just a matter, you know, with each draft, of just trying to make it better and better. Here, here, and I, I, by the way, I should mention uh, that I, at this point, I didn't know I'd be directing the film. I, I still have, I, I've directed the last three movies I've written, but I still haven't written a movie knowing I was going to be the director later on. Let me just say this, just to, just to, finish that point. Um, so Aaron, uh, experience with Aaron, I've worked with, I don't know, writers now in my career, a lot. He is the most um, disciplined and um, he understands rhythm. And maybe that's from being a playwright, Aaron. I'm not sure. I think it is. Mm -hmm. um, he understands them and no other writer I've ever my career understands. And he understands the ebb flow of an emotion, of an uh, emotional characters. And Lucy and Desi are emotional characters. It's why they were so successful. I think anytime you have emotional characters in, in your life, um, in a work situation, you know, you, you usually find that they are remarkably successful because they feel so deeply. Aaron understood into it, first meeting, kind of that they were deeply emotional characters, both of them in, in their real lives. So when you read the script, the first draft, second draft, whatever, first draft, he understood the ebbing and flowing of where Lucy was at this moment and where Lucy went to at that moment and how she was affected by Desi here and how she was affected by this situation. So he, was, he, he really understands emotion. And I think when you can find, and there are very few of them, I put Aaron way up the top, um, when you can find a writer director that is not afraid of embracing emotion in storytelling 
you're off to the races. And I think, Anthony, that your response to kind of the clarity of the way you're understanding Aaron's movie is because of that. It's very clear in the script. And, and he, he got that in the writing of it in the first draft. It's very nice of you to say, Todd. But and, it's true. It's true. Um, Anthony, you know, you, you, you mentioned something a moment ago I wanted to address, uh, which was you said that, uh, you know, by the end of the movie, I love Lucy fans will will be satisfied. You know, they they got their dose of uh, of Lucy and Desi, uh, and you're right. Although I should say that someone who has never seen I Love Lucy, someone who's never heard of Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, if there is such a thing, uh, they'll enjoy the movie just as much. What's interesting is that for those I Love Lucy fans uh, who who want their Desi and Lucy, I think that they have almost the same reaction to the end of the film as Lucy, the character, Lucille Ball does, when she gets, uh, I don't know if, it, if we can give spoilers uh, or not, when she gets that terrible news from Desi, right? Um, uh, and her reaction is, stop talking, let's start the show. Um, uh, let me just get into the Ricardo's living room where everything works on what she calls that patch of ground, uh, where everything works. I think that that's the audience's response too. This isn't the Desi and Lucy uh, I want to see. Give me Lucy and Ricky, stat. Um, uh, and and so I think that the ending works that way. I think that's brilliant. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now, everybody has been asking this, but I want to ask it. This is because I want, I want your answer. Okay. What was it in Nicole Kidman that made you see Lucille Ball? Like Marion Doherty, Warner Brothers casting director. She saw it in Michael Keaton's eyes. That's why he was right for the role of Batman. What was it? How did you know that Nicole could go there? Was it seeing her in the hours? You know, <laughs> did you think, oh, she, she's got a thousand tricks in her bag. She could do this. I think it was uh, uh, her entire body of work. What, what I was looking for, first of all, I was looking to cast Lucille Ball, not Lucy Ricardo. Um, so in Nicole, you have got a world-class dramatic actress uh, with a dry sense of humor who is deft with language. Um, and she, she is a beautiful woman. Uh, and... Uh, that made her for Todd and myself that she's who we wanted. Um, uh, w one of the things I was delightfully surprised, and she delivered on uh, on all of those fronts. Uh, uh, one of the things I was delightfully surprised by was how game she was for Lucy Ricardo. Um, uh, she she very happily you know rolled around in a vat of grapes. Uh, I, she wanted to keep doing more Loved takes. It. She was just having the time of her life in there. Uh, but like I said, I, I, I was casting Lucille Ball. I knew that the Lucy Ricardo uh, uh, would would come. 
uh, and Nicole uh, uh, owns the the patch of ground that she's standing on. Um, uh, you you buy her as the smartest person in the room as as this uh, a comedic genius. Uh, but like I said, it it was uh, world class dramatic actress, dry sense of humor, facility with language. Todd, for you as the producer, I know that Nicole came around once Aaron, you know, called her up and said, I want you, you know, just play the character in the script. Don't worry about an impersonation. But Todd, for you as the producer, can you talk about, was there agita? Was there like, are we going to get her? Are we not going to get her? You know, are you, are you looking at your watch? Was it, a, was it hard to land her? Well, it's a redundancy to say as a producer, was there agita? So, <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> so, so let me just, just start by saying, uh, that's my life, Anthony. So, um, uh, yeah, of course. I mean, you know, when you have the perfect director and you have the perfect script, you got to get the perfect actor and, you know, have half a shot at succeeding. So, you know, Aaron and I were very, very very clear with who we wanted and who we didn't want. And uh, in the beginning with Nicole, you know, and Aaron will tell you this, I'm a huge Nicole fan. I mean, I, you know, she can be in not a good movie, but she's really good all the time. She's never not good. Right. And, um, exactly. and you know, she really isn't. I mean, she's been, you know, she's been acting since she's been 16 years old. And, you know, for calm and, you know, name, all the, like you have to, when you, when you go back in your repertoire of Nicole Kidman films, you forget how many movies she's been in and how good she really is. Again, even if the movie were a small movie and didn't succeed or, or whatever it is, she always committed and always there in those movies. You know, I remember um, when she did that Gus Van Zandt film, the, the, the To Die For, she was yeah. so, her comedy in that, her timing. And Aaron and I talked a lot about that. I don't know if you remember that, Aaron. I do. You know, she's really wonderful with comedy. And and as Aaron said, you know, she is a hell of a dramatic actress. I mean, th th this woman can act her way around anybody. And and um, I, I had Agita only in that I really wanted her for the role. And I knew she was super nervous after talking to her a number of times. You know, when you get an Aaron Sorkin script, you know, it, it you got to commit and you got to get it right. And, and uh, you know, you're being handed platinum uh, every day. And, and uh, you know, you, if you can't make those words come to life and, and, and not, you don't have to put any salt and pepper on it. It's all there. It's seasoned perfectly, you know? And so you question yourself as an actor and I get did that and Javier did that and JK. I mean, JK was so accomplished. She was so scared. So anytime you have people being that scared, as a producer, you know you have the right people. I mean, I agree. Uh, and I remember because uh, uh, because Nicole was a, a little bit nervous uh, in the weeks leading up to the start of production, and I, I imagine everybody's a little. I, I was nervous in the weeks leading up to production, um, and I remember saying to her because you know. This is an actress who's been directed by Stanley Kubrick, 
right? And now it's going to be me. Um, uh, and I said, Nicole, I just, I'm not looking for an impersonation. I want you to play the character in the script. I swear to God, you're going to be sensational. And I am not going to be the first person who couldn't get a great performance out of Nicole Kidman. And the same question, Javier, how did you know he could sing in, how do you, what he a lied. song and dance man. He lied all during his meeting. <laughs> Actors know that when they're asked if they can ride a horse, the answer is always yes. Uh, okay. Um, so uh, we, had, we had to do this all by Zoom. We couldn't have, uh, because of COVID, because he lives in Spain and she lives in Australia, uh, we couldn't all be in the same room. Um, so I'm I'm zooming with Javier, and he just exudes everything you could want uh, uh, from Desi. Um, uh, he he is just so charming and charismatic and and funny and uh, uh, and I, I I wanted him within two minutes. Uh, so at the end of the interview, I just said, "Hey, I, I promise this isn't a deal breaker, but." By any chance, you know, have you ever held a guitar in your hands and strummed it a couple of times? Oh, I've been playing the guitar since I was five years old. Uh, and I said, that's great. And, um, you know, have you ever, like, banged on a drum? And he said, I got a drum kit right over here. I, I, I practice an hour a day. It's, it's amazing. And I said, it, if I were to ask your wife, would she say that you're a good dancer? And I am the best dancer ever in the world he, he's he never done any of those things he was down determined he i mean he aaron aaron left off the lead he said it was the best script he's ever read oh well that's yes and that was so very very nice that started it and he, he he was bound and determined to do the movie and in the few months between that zoom and the start of production uh he, he uh, I, 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 he had to have been taking voice lessons. He had to have been taking drum lessons, because uh, when he showed up to do Babalu uh, and Cuban Pete, yeah, man, right. he, yeah, we, you know, you we are not sweetening what, anything uh, uh, in the movie. Home. That's yeah. him. That um, and in the meantime, what Nicole was doing, we spent. Uh, it was a 40-day shoot, and two of those days were I Love Lucy days. It was over the course of two days that we would be shooting all the I Love Lucy bits. And I had in my mind, like, carved out three or four hours on the morning of the first day just to stand with Nicole by a playback monitor. That was uh, We were going to do this in inches, uh, at, you know, watching the episode, and okay, she puts her hand on the mantle and turns here to Ethel, let's do that. Nicole showed up knowing every square foot uh, of these scenes, whether it's the vat of grapes or anything else uh, that she does in the film. She already knew where, where Lucy's hands were uh, at every moment. Uh, so the whole thing... I, especially when you consider that we did this during COVID, that uh, these aren't easy roles to play. Um, uh, it went like frighteningly smoothly. Uh, we so much so that you're just like waiting for what's the disaster yeah. that's gonna happen tomorrow. Yeah. 
Yeah, we were home every day, no job. Uh, we shot at Sunday hour and then around town a little bit. And we were home by 4.30 o'clock every day. It was the most civilized hours. Again, when you have a director that knows what they want and you have actors that are, are directed confidently and they know what they're doing from a script that is perfect, you can do that. It's very rare, but you can do it. But you're leaving something out, Todd, uh, which is that, again, the role of the producer, which, oh, you know, you. a lot of the world has a sort of cartoon stereotype in their head of a cigar chomping guy who's, <laughs> uh, and, and that's not Todd. Early on in the shoot, uh, the first few days, uh, I, I I was worried. Am I doing anything right? Is have I have I done this all wrong? Um, and you know, Todd had said, "Here's what I'm going to do. Uh, I'll call Alan Alan, Alan Baumgarten, uh, our editor. I'll have him cut together the footage that we have, and I'll look at it. Meaning Todd uh, uh, will look at it. And he said, "I promise you, if it needs to be shot over, we'll shoot it over. We'll get the money. We'll find the days, uh, and we'll shoot it over again." Uh, and he called and he said, uh, no, it's great. Uh, uh, it doesn't need to be shot over. And when you trust the producer, when he's a great producer, you know, and, and by that point, we've been working on this for a few years. Um, uh, when you trust the producer, it's a great luxury uh, because then you can feel good after that moment. You can relax your shoulders a little bit and try to do your best work. And I have to say, Aaron surrounds himself. I mean, between Stuart Besser, who's a brilliant, brilliant line producer, like so good, and Alan Baumgarten, and Jeff Kronowitz, and John Hutman, all the people Aaron surrounds himself with, it does make it to a point where you can trust what you're doing as a producer, let alone as a much easier. I mean, never really fully trusted till you know, it's out in the world. Um, you always have that shadow of a doubt because that's the way we all have to live because you just never know as an artist, you know, really at the end of the day what you're doing, you hope and pray. Um, but but uh, uh, it was a, man, it was a smooth shoot, really smooth shoot. I'm really glad Todd just named those people, John Hutman, our production designer, uh, Jeff Cronin with uh, our DP, Susan Lyle, our costume Great. designer. Great. Uh, they are co-authors uh, of the film. They really are, along with Daniel Pemberton, uh, who wrote this lush orchestral score. I was going to say the whole COVID of it all, Todd and Aaron, did that, was that discombobulating? Or Aaron, when everyone separated into pods, you know, when you've got your direct, it's you and the DP and just the cast, does it just make it like you're on stage? You know, it it wasn't discombobulating at all. The, uh, honestly, the only discombobulated moment was hilarious. Uh, it was when JK, as Bill Frawley, which it, it was an I Love Lucy moment, um, he, he, he kind of rushes into the Ricardo's uh, 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 living room. It's a moment that lasts seven seconds, but he'd forgotten to take his mask off. Um, uh, and he, and we're shooting the scene. Um, <laughs> it just started laughing um, because suddenly Fred Mertz uh, is in the middle of, uh, of the pandemic. That's the only time I can remember 
Yeah. We had a great team of healthcare professionals. Everybody was tested every day. They saw to it that the train stayed on the tracks. Yeah. We, uh, no, we didn't have any COVID issues at all. It none. Was, I mean, right. You know, yeah. people stayed, people were in their pod. And this was when COVID was really raging. But people were in their pods and people were protected and no one got sick. And uh, uh, it actually, I think everybody just kind of got used to it. And, and I don't think it was a problem, Aaron, at all, really. It wasn't, honestly. The biggest problem is I haven't figured out how to get my glasses to not fog up when I'm wearing a mask. That was the biggest problem. <laughs> my last question for you both is, um, look, Todd, in this day and age, a producer, when it comes to putting content through a medium, needs to be agnostic. Um, getting dramas made, uh, particularly on the big screen, is it, what does it take? What does it take for a studio to say yes? What make, is it the high stakes of it all? Is it the, I, I mean, I know I'm using broad words here, high stakes and emotion, but what is it? How do you know you've got the snap to just grand slam it? Well, that's, that's for you great, both. It's a great question. Aaron, you want me to go first? Please, because I'm curious about the answer. Here's what I find. I, I make a lot of dramas. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, that's really kind of, I mean, with comedy oftentimes, but a lot of dramas. I have another movie coming out Christmas Day that Denzel directed with Michael B. Jordan. That's a hardcore hitting drama, uh, true story, tragic love story. And and for Sony, and, and, and the, the I needed to get that plug in there. But the, <laughs> the reason I think I don't worry about that ever. And I never worried about that my whole career, and especially now with streamers. You know, when you have when you have the material, when you have a story that you can get Aaron Sorkin and Nicole Kidman and Javier Bardem, or when you have a story that you can get Denzel Washington and Michael B. Jordan, you know, whatever it is that you have the uh, uh, as a producer, the ability to attract the, that ilk of talent, you're gonna get a, a, a studio or a streamer to make your movie. You just are, and you, you can't think otherwise, you know? I mean, you can't, you can't let the negative leave. You, you know, you have, to, you have to trust your material and you have to trust that your material is gonna attract Aaron Sorkin. And you have to trust that the person that you pick like Aaron Sorkin, you know, for you and and you have to trust that the streamer amazon or name or the studio name the name um trust you as the producer and and you know you have to it's not that complicated really but you have to have you have to have a high caliber group of people material that merits saying yes if you don't have that you really can't do it. So, I mean, I kind of trust my material. That's all I have to go with as a producer. I don't have anything more. I don't have a head of hair. I'm not, you know, anything other than that. You know, you always say that. I think you have lovely hair. I, oh, I think okay. you have terrific hair. <laughs> I do. Uh, my answer to that is simply, it, it honestly, uh, with Todd producing, it just never even occurred to me that, the, that there was a chance the film might not get made. Uh, with a producer, you're really, I'm, I look for three things. Um, is he going to be a good script editor? Is he going to get the film made? And for 
not a luxurious budget, but something reasonable. Uh, and third, uh, will he ride herd over a robust and sophisticated marketing campaign? Todd gets an A plus in those three categories. He's also a terribly it. nice guy. He, he's that's who that's you cool. want to spend a long day with. He's who you want to be in a trench with. Um, so, and it, the, honestly, the thought never occurred to me that he wouldn't get the film made. Todd Black and Aaron Sorkin being the Ricardos. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. a lot, Anthony. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call Podcast on Deadline. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro, and our podcast series has been produced by David Janov. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode.